Hello and welcome to another episode of the St. George's Rudenstaff, the official podcast of the Church of St. George the Martyr in Kailstrava, alongside, along with, the chapelries of St. Mark and St. Monica's. I am Lindsay Shooters and I am joined as always by the rector of our parish, Father Rodney Whiteman. Father Rodney, how are you doing today? Through the grace of God, um, very well. Had a, um, um, a, a lot of restfulness in this day. Um, I did a wedding this morning, which was which went down super. Um, we had quite an, I mean, we had over 70 people there, so that oh, was quite wow. a good number of people who joined. And of course, as always, bride and grooms always look beautiful and the floral, floral arrangements, absolutely stunning mm. um, for the service itself. And we had a lot of fun there. One person commented about the humor. One must bring humor into these things. So it was quite um, good to hear that uh, it wasn't overplayed, but it was it was necessary um, in in the occasion of worship. And um, yeah, so um, uh, you know, we 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 would always lean on the grace of God for assuring us uh, with health and strength and um, and um, wisdom and all of that kind of stuff and opportunity. So we we um, are able to say, you know, um, uh, uh, God remembers us and God rescues us because His steadfast love endures forever. In all circumstances, and I trust the same with you and your family. Ah, uh, yes, yes, yes. Um, we were talking uh, before we start, before we hit record, um, that uh, Monique and I had some time um, without the children, just out doing shopping and stuff, and um, had a good time. I, I enjoy, I enjoy our stimulating conversation. Um, mm. It's always like I, I was saying; it's, it's always important for me to be mindful of the fact that she is. Or Monique is a person with her own mind and her own thoughts, and I would never want to change that because it would be really boring talking to someone who agreed with me all the time. <laughs> You'll be decapitated if you do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Emasculated. Um, yes, definitely. I'm open to emasculation, though. I, I like <laughs> to cast off all all shackles um, that the world might be putting on me. Um, Father, we are now continued exploration of faith during this time of crisis. I am happy to see that more and more people are becoming more and more comfortable with the protocols out there around the coronavirus. Obviously, we are starting to lose ourselves in our comfort. Um, We just need to be mindful that there is still a pandemic going about. I think we hit three days in a row of 2,000 infections um, this yeah. week, um, which is which is crazy. There's surges happening all over the world. Czech Republic is going through a massive surge now. The U.S., um, I think they had two consecutive 200,000 new infection days, which is mad to think about. Um, so this pandemic, this virus is still very much with us. But moving on to the five movements of the liturgy, Father, your theme that you have extracted for this week is to joyful service and be a healing witness. Would you please unpack that in the context of the collect, and then I will catch up with you later. All of that, um, thanks, uh, Lindsay. All of that is based on our um, celebration of God, who through Jesus has shown us how to love one another. And as a result of the love that he's shown, um, we are petitioning God to help us to love in, in such a way that our love overflows 
into joyful service so that we are able to be healing witnesses in our in our neighborhoods uh, starting there <clears throat> and going further so i think that you know um, as christians and the church um, a, a word and and i the the the, the um, call is always about service and witness um, we those those two themes and actions are held together we have a a, a marvelous witness uh, theme of the good, good news of Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God and and all the narratives um, that were told over centuries to help us see that incredible witness of which we in our generation are part of but as a result of witnessing we also serve in the way that that Jesus did. Now, the words attached to it, the words that give um, meaning to it, the words that, um, the adjectives that, that, that help describe the kind of service we are meant to give as a result of the example of love that Jesus taught us, is that our service must always be joyful. Now, we know that service could be pretty difficult um, because uh, the context in which we are called to serve it comes with lots of challenges. But when we do that, it mustn't be with gritted teeth. It must be with a heart filled with love and therefore poured out into joyful service, no matter how hard the task of serving is. And then when we witness the word that um, gives its definition is to be a healing witness. And for me, that says, you know, we can't go and witness in a way that's judgmental, something you spoke about early on. Um, a witness is not afraid of what comes back. Mm. A witness is more mm. in tune with what it gives and how it gives that. Because we, we're doing this from a, from a, um, a foundation of the love of God in Jesus Christ. Mm. Having said that, um, I will then call people to worship in this podcast, um, Lindsay. Mm -hmm. My sisters and brothers, I greet you with these words. The Lord, who has been our dwelling place in all generations, is with you. I welcome you to the service, all members of our congregation, and also all who are tuned in from other places most welcome with us. The prayer that gathers us as well as the scripture themes, major scripture themes together, is the collect. And let us pray this. You can find it on your pew leaflet on Facebook. Um, let us pray. Almighty God, your son has shown us how to love one another. Let our love for you overflow into joyful service and be a healing witness to our neighbors through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Lindsay, over to you. So the first reading is um, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 to 8. This is still Paul writing to the Thessalonians. He's still going through Greece. Um, like I, I think it's important to to kind of geographically like set where he is when he is writing these things. 
Um, he goes on to say um, that in verse 2, you know how we had already been mistreated and insulted in Philippi before we came to you. And then he continues, and this is like the important thing where, where, where I, that I want to dwell on is verse 3, our appeal to you is not based on error or impure motives, nor do we try to trick anyone. Verse 4, instead we always speak as God wants us to because he has judged us worthy to be entrusted with the good news. Father, the idea of worthiness, it comes up again and again. Um, in this context, how can someone be deemed to be just, to be judged worthy enough to proclaim the good news? Well, um, if, we, if we think of those words, what comes to mind is that obviously there were people in opposition to Paul and his group. Mm. So this is Paul's way of saying, this is our CV. Uh, our mm. CV starts with where we were in the place of unworthiness. Then the massacres happened. And then um, once I became obedient to Christ, to do what he wanted me to do, I was therefore judged worthy to be entrusted with the good news. Mm. So how does my worthiness come through that process? Um, who are you, Lord? You are persecuting me. And then he had to move from being blind into the place of obedience mm. and into the place of having called. So all of that, Willingness to serve, coming back to the whole question of being a being of service and a witness. What was the criteria that that he had to fulfill? Well, the first one was his encounter with Jesus. Secondly, was his obedience to Jesus. Thirdly, he became part of a community that was already witnessing to Jesus. And in all of that, because you Paul doesn't speak here of I, he speaks of a we. Mm. So what their work was, was, was found jointly in, in community with each other. So one could imagine the kind of preparation that they would have together, consulting one another on how to bring the good news. And given the fact that they did it under prayer and under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, um, it was almost as if God said, I'm allowing you with this word of good news to now go and witness to it and serve mm. and serve according mm. to it. Um, that doesn't mean they were perfect. It means that God was empowering them to serve and witness to the good news in their willingness to be obedient to God. Um, as, as those called to do the work of the good news through witnessing, with preaching and teaching, um, and through whatever work of service the good news would have uh, revealed to them to do. And then he goes on to also mm -hmm. say, we always speak as God wants us to. Now, this could be almost a dangerous phrase because 
I remembered some some years ago, I had a, a sabbatical leave in England, and I worked amongst five different church denominations who were in a covenant relationship with one another in order for them to have a a, a, a collective witness in in the in Earlsden was where I was in Coventry, mm. and so I my program was that I would be at I would experience each of their congregations mm. on a Sunday or whenever mm. else they wanted me to be part of it. And at this one evangelical church, um, which I really did not know, the kind of thing that people talk about free worship and those kind of stuff. I was sitting at the back and just um, my eyes were closed and I was waiting for the service to start. And I felt a presence next to me. And this was, I sort of opened my eyes and this brother was, <laughs> whispered to me that the Lord just told him now to tell me I must come more regularly to church. <laughs> so I was quite, um, I, I was I was angry because, you know, we normally say in response to those things, well, if the Lord wanted me to know that, why couldn't he tell me himself? <laughs> but if the Lord wanted me to know this, why didn't he realize I was a priest who was normally in church regularly and I had been on sabbatical where I was also attending church? Yeah. So what kind of Lord was he talking about? And then I said to him, but I'm, I'm, I'm regularly in church, just that. Oh, no, 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 I didn't mean it like that. And I said, you see, people can misuse this. We always speak as God wants us to speak. But what for me is the important words there, the context words there is we and us. Uh, um, so whilst God is revealing things to them, they just hearing it and discussing it and begin to say, well, how do we, if we heard this collectively, how are we meant to then witness to it and, and what service is revealed through it? So it wasn't just one person listening as God was speaking and revealing. For me, it gives a sense that there was a community of them. We don't know three, four, five people, I don't know, who yeah. listened yeah. in preparation for what they were to deliver. So, so at the end of the day, Paul then says to them, our intention is never to please people, but to please God. And inevitably, when we seek to please God, we get into trouble with people. Because sometimes the things that are revealed in the gospel may touch a nerve with somebody's life where they may be hiding something that the gospel wants to reveal for them to come to repentance. Or where they're not doing something that they should should not be doing. And, and so uh, the, the, the gospel is like, the good news is like an illuminating light shining on the darkness of us all to help us come into the light and to, to, to let go of the darkness. So, yes, if we seek to please God in what we say and what we do, it may not always be pleasing to people. But Paul says, our intention is never to please people, but to please God. So we who are called to witness and serve in the capacity as priests, for example, ordained priests, are we going to say things that we think the congregation would love to hear, and that keeps them in their comfort zone, and in that way we will get their support? Or will we take the risk and say, but actually God is one, we say this, and it may be, people often tell you at the door when we 
were able to meet at the door. Mm. Father, yeah. today op my tone getrap. <laughs> of Father, today klippe gegooi van die preekstoel af. I'm not always aware that I'm doing that. And that wasn't the intention, but that's how they heard it. Mm. So is that something good? Or is it uh, not good? Because look, I don't always sit with somebody else. Part of my preparation in during this COVID period was you. Yeah. This reflection that I'm doing with you now helps yeah. me to reflect even deep on how I'm supposed to preach and what I'm supposed to preach. So and and in fact, this is also in which which it's a du- a dualistic um um uh, tool the podcast because you get to ask questions and make statements together with me as we reflect on the text. Mm. So you're part of the mm. preaching, you're part so, of the witness. I, I I understand that, and I mean that that's always been the central premise of this. Was I think I, I pitched it to you as like I want to show your process to getting to the message <laughs> that, that you are delivering. But I, I just want to re- reverse a little bit and go back to like the idea of, 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 of being judged worthy. So you are saying it's um, having an encounter with Jesus and then joining the community that um, spreads the, the good news. So then you continued, like you went into the, the rest of the verse where it's like, we do not try and please people, but please our God or to please God. And then he's like, who tests our motive? So is in the context of this, like were the trials and tribulations that they had to go through, is is the, the test through the difficulty or or how, how do you see God testing his motives? I, I think that, you know, you are convicted as you speak Mm. whatever you are speaking publicly and pronouncing it as the gospel of Jesus Christ the conviction is that am I speaking that which is the truth of God that which God laid on my heart or our hearts to speak about but am I sugarcoating it Mm. am I minimizing its effect Am I so so conviction on the inside? We are personally convicted uh, as God would help us to. Yes, I think also when we meet challenges, have we who brought the message of good news also shaped our lives so that when we um, are challenged like the mistreatments and insults that we got, Mm. the the opposition that was there, our how and it says here, and God gave us courage to tell you this. Mm. So our courage to proclaim the good news um, in the face of possible opposition, um, but at the same time to realize we are part of those who hear as we are part of those who proclaim. Mm. And so the, the inner convictions that we must listen to and, and sense but also the feedback that is given um, is also part of the testing. And also when it, Paul tells it like it is, you cannot preach the gospel of Jesus Christ without the courage God gives you. Because mm. otherwise you're speaking through your own teeth. And you will have opposition. How do you manage that opposition? 
what kind of way will you be able to you know, to test your motives? Why did I say this? I mean, I could never go up on onto the onto the pulpit and say to people, now if you put into the collection plate a hundred thousand rand today, the showers of blessing will fall fall upon you. I'm not convicted to say that. Because the emphasis of the good news is not about you giving. It's about mm. what God is giving to you. And as he's giving to you, you then will work on with God what way in which you will give. And it doesn't necessarily only mean money, like some people will, will say to you. Mm. Um, so money becomes the, 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 the um, the catalyst for transactionalism between God and you. That's not what this is, the good news is about. It's not that transaction. It's the transaction of God's love and grace and mercy for us. Mm. And we responding and mm. opening our hearts to receive a God. Uh, and so, so that's my response. The inner conviction, the fact that you cannot preach the gospel with, con with confidence that's uh, set in your personal um, personal sense of, of self, but courage that God has to pour into us in order to preach it. And then how do we manage the opposition that will come? And in other mm. words, there will be opposition when you mm. preach the good news that God has laid on your heart to speak. Yeah. So in your little... Um analogy where where the 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 good sir in coventry um was compelled by like god told him to come and tell you to come to church more regularly um you were you were speaking before we started recording about like god has no voice god has no hands um all of that so obviously my my belief is that obviously of course people need to proclaim the good news because we need to keep telling the story or else the story will fade away. Um, like, I was also speaking with my sister earlier, and it's like, I come to this podcast with my understanding that these are all stories with, like, loose historical facts tied to them, but it's still, like, one person's or at least a couple of people's accounts of an experience that they may or may not have had. Maybe they read a little bit too much into it. I I don't know. I'm, I'm still undecided. But... Paul never speaks about it's God's message through him until verse 8, where he says, because of our love for you, we are ready to share with you not only the good news from God. That's the first reference he makes to where the news is coming to instead of just bearing witness to what has happened, um, but even our own lives. Um, so is do you believe that God speaks through people or are we just witness to how it has moved in our own lives? Um, I, I do certainly believe God speaks through us um, and people will, even though we may not know it, others will be convicted of it. They would have they would give you feedback that what you just said. I remember uh, getting up in a conference one day where we were busy as a diocese um, trying to put together a mission statement and a vision statement. And all those who were 
caught up in the, the business world giving them this kind of, of thing. I got up and opened the catechism in the prayer book and um, I read the catechism. And if you don't mind me doing that now, just to show you no what, what happened. So I got up because on page 433 of the prayer book, um, number 74 under the, under the heading the church, mm. the question is asked, what is the mission of the church? Mm. And then I said, why are we putting up this fancy title? When in this, in the, in, in, the, in the catechism, there is this beautiful way of putting what the mission of the church is. The mission of the church is to restore all people to unity with God and each other in Christ. Then it goes on to say, how does the, the church pursue its mission and through whom? Does the church carry out its mission? So it's beautifully put out there. And then this was in the Diocese of False Bay. Somebody from the Diocese of Cape Town apparently heard that I that I'd said this. When he when we spoke soon after that, his words to me was, I believe you were very prophetic on that particular morning. Mm. I had no sense that I was even that I was, I, I could even have been, have been speaking a word of prophecy, but that's how he coined it. And to this day, I keep wondering, you know, what, what it is. So I don't always know, but others will then reflect that with you because the way that they heard and what they heard. Um, um, I, I also remember there was a time when I was at another conference and I got up to say something in response to what was being shared at, at question time. And I remember a sense that a feeling that came over me where I was, I was just talking and talking and talking, and there was a deathly silence, mm. deathly silence. And when I sat down, the silence continued until one person got up and said, I don't want to minimize what you have shared. There's just one word I'd like to, to give you uh, in, as an alternate way of saying this. And I look at that and I say, so what happened that day with me? And why was there a silence I've never heard? I mean, you could literally, if a pin dropped, could hear it. And it was reflected back to me afterwards when people said to, you know, the kind of response to that section of what I was talking. So you will find that you're, you were speaking about your research when mm. you're preparing to meet a client. And part of your research around the field that they busy with is to educate yourself. So when you come into that context, you have things in you that as the, co the conversation goes, you'd be able to speak into. Yes. So in other words, for that particular moment, you have been converted to their truth, to the field that they are in. Yeah. You are yeah. almost a disciple um, having 
gotten the notes together and now speaking as one who actually believes what they are on about. That gives credibility to their idea, their philosophy, and their product. So too, when we are engrossed in prayer and silence and reflection and reading and studying of the text, exegeting it and getting together uh, others, what others have said, as we do that, so transformation is happening that when we speak to others, it would have been more than just me putting words together. It would have been a whole process of things inside myself and outside myself mm. so, that, um, so that your life becomes the testimony of the words or the message you're proclaiming. Um, we are we're ready to share with you not only the goodness and not only the words from God, but even our own lives. And remember last week when we were dealing with 1 Thessalonians 1, there was such where, we, where, we, where, the, where, where we're not only proclaiming the gospel with words, but with power, with the Holy Spirit, with mm. truth, then this one thing, with conviction. I remembered after one sermon that I preached at a church, the, one of the people came to me afterwards and says, you really believe the things you're talking about, don't you? Mm. <laughs> I said, yes, I do. I do. So that's my response to the question that, that you asked yeah. around state. So that's it's also it's also like one thing I really enjoy about the, the career that I went into is like I be, get to become a chameleon um, in life where I was tasked with writing a, a story, a, a, a positive South African story about Elon Musk. So mm -hmm. if you know Elon Musk, the CEO of Tesla and mm -hmm. SpaceX and one of the richest people in the world, he was born in South Africa, but left when he was 17 and I never knew the reason why he left but it was because he didn't want to go into military conscription um, because he didn't want to be part of the machinery of apartheid which is an incredible fact that that that, that I dug up but he never mentions or he, he never mentions his South African roots um, it's almost like he's almost like the prodigal son and he's on his little journey and his own journey. And there's never any stories about him being like this philanthropist in the in the way of like a Bill Gates or a Richard. So Richard Branson or somebody like he he just reinvests all the money that he makes into the project that he's part of. And I kind of went on to the standard where I was equating his follow through like he's one of those people if he says something it happens eventually um, and he said it himself like it usually happens not according to the deadline that he said but it usually happens once he's, he said something set out to do something and one of the things he sets out to do is to change the world but on a level that he can and that just happens to be an incredibly effective level where he's moved the needle in terms of electric vehicle adoption, like just trying to make the world a better place. And then there's also this whole idea of moving to Mars, <laughs> which I'm not entirely mm. in 
but but yeah, it, it it it's definitely like I had to walk in his shoes to really drill down to a like extract a positive like how South Africa has positively influenced his thing. So it's like that whole idea of like a Burmaka plan. That's sort of like the the central thesis of mm-hmm. that is. We are tenacious enough to achieve the goal um, through like ingenuity of like working around the problem. But um, I, I just like to put a pin in that and move on to the gospel, which is from Matthew chapter twenty-two, verses thirty-four to forty-six. So the Pharisees are the the Herodians were <laughs> the the Romans were defeated by by Jesus. Uh, the Pharisees now bring the lawyer. <laughs> This is all obviously Jesus's um, his last visit to Jerusalem before um, he, he dies. So they they definitely trying to tie him up. They trying to find a reason to put him to the sword. And the lawyer asks him a question: Which commandment in the law is the greatest? And we all know what his answer is, um, which is the first and the second. But then I want to flash forward a little bit when he gives the new commandment, which replaces. Um, this whole idea of you shall love the Lord with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind, and then you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And he then turns it into just love everybody as I have loved you. So why the evolution from this answer he gives to the lawyer to the new commandment that he gives? Yeah. So, so again, I uh, relating it to the good news of um, that's that Paul spoke about the mm. commandment um, would obviously be the good news of the New Testament uh, that was given. Um, there is an author by the name of Walter Brueggemann who wrote mm. the book The Bible Makes Sense, and in in this he he gives us a. Um, a view of the Bible which he believes is the most helpful view of the Bible when you read or the method to read the Bible. He calls it covenant historical method. And what Mm -hmm. he's saying is that we are being drawn into a covenant relationship with God. And within this covenant relationship, God gives us the measure of what that covenant is all about through its commandments. In short, the covenant is... I am the Lord your God, Mm. I will be your God, and Mm. you will be my people. Now, how will this people be shaped? They they were first slaves. They ought to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. And sometimes it's added with all your strength, Mm. right? So basically Mm. is the four corners of of the human body and of the human soul and of the human mind. So, so... When, when a, a young child on, sat on the lap of his mother, he would be told this in Deuteronomy. Hear, mm. O Israel, the Lord your God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Now, that is what one could call the horizontal relationship, sorry, the vertical relationship mm. between God mm. and and the people he's covenanted with. Now, having established that as the firm basis of, uh, of, of love, 
You are called to love God. Why? Because God loved you first. The relationship with God that you have is based on love, not on fear. It's based on love, so you will, you will stand in awe and reverence for God. You will worship God. You will know God is mystery and you don't understand God fully. But what has been revealed is, is you, you're able, your response to God loving you is that God, is that you are to love God back. A reciprocal uh, kind of experience. Now, based on that, when that foundation is understood and embraced, what flows from it? You cannot then deny that the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So, in other words, if you are truly loving your neighbor as yourself, you would have, as it were, been following the first part of the commandment. Hmm. That is that hmm. you love the Lord your God. Because you love the Lord your God, therefore, out of that flows almost naturally a sense in which you will love others. You will also learn to love yourself mm. in the loving of mm. others. Now, remember the question that was asked was not what was the greatest commandments, but what is the great, what is the command, the commandment that is the greatest. And Jesus mm. gives mm. him a first part and a second part. So he ties it up. In, in fact, this becomes, therefore, the summary of the Ten Commandments that was given on Mount Sinai. Mm. Uh, and Jesus mm. said, I came not to dispense of the law, but I came to fulfill it. So mm. the true meaning mm. of the covenant received at Sinai was not the kind of words we want to strictly see, it, but the intention is, if you truly love God, you'll worship him. If you truly accepted God's love for you, you then will have a heart of love to serve and worship God. And you won't speak God's name in vain. Mm. If you then mm. truly love God, then it's almost natural that you will honor your parents. It's almost the outflowing of your love for God and God's love for you is to reach out to others. So the first four of the Ten Commandments relates to your relationship with God. And the next six relates to your relationship with with your neighbor, with mm. others. And so in response to this question, Jesus is saying, you cannot just say love God and, and not realize the consequences of loving God, the result of loving God and of being loved by God is you will start building a community of love and respect with other people. That, mm. that is the mm. whole commandment. Love God. Love others as you love yourself. Um, so there's no space in here for self-hatred. Mm. But it's a balance between loving yourself and loving your neighbor. How, how can you love another person if you're looking yourself into the mirror and can't see in there somebody that you must love and mm. that you are called mm. to love? So Jesus gives them as it were, the, and then he goes on to say this, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. That was the true intention of the law. Now, the Pharisees were looking for an opportunity to see if he would break down the law by what mm. he would respond, mm. how he would respond. But um, 
the way that he did interpret it, the way that he answered it, what could they ask him further on what he had responded because their intention was to trap him, to test him. You know, they were really antagonistic towards him. Mm. So right here, when he comes on to where he will do the Via Dolorosa, he will, he's faced with all these temptations to stop him from getting to where he must be. But so that's my but, response to what you asked. But but isn't like that that whole thing was preordained. So I I read the the rest of the story where um so he's silenced them and he knows he's silenced them. And then he was like, "Okay, cool, but I need you to resent me enough and to find a reason enough to put me to the sword, to put to hang me up on the cross." So I'm going to throw you a little bone and I'm going to ask you, okay, cool. So who is the Messiah? And then they're like, the son of David. And he's like, then he elevates himself um, where he uses David's words. um, And then he says, if David then calls the Messiah, the Lord, how can he be his son? And so there's like a little, he gives them just a little bit of rope. (laughs) and He's like there. Fine, pull on this, but <laughs> um, so yeah. The, but, the, but the original question was like, how how does does Jesus evolve that thinking from from the the original commandments, and then turns it into something where he is or proclaims himself like the the covenant um, in 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 your words? Okay, so in other words, they were challenging him as. Was he was he perhaps the Messiah, or was he just a fake Messiah? Mm. So you. But they wanted him, a, him to say that he was the Messiah. They wanted him to say absolutely. that. Absolutely. <laughs> so that so that is why I think he asks him. So what do you think of the Messiah? Yeah. In response to the question they'd ask him, what was the greatest uh, commandment? Um, so so obviously they were thinking in messianic terms. There was a great expectation of the coming of the Messiah, but they did not know how he was going to come. The image mm. they had actually is in Maccabees, where um, this these rebels um, who rebelled against the state, who was forcing them to bow down to emperors and all of that, mm. and they mm. and to 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 do away with their um, their their, their uh, with with the law. Um, he, they were looking for that kind of um, of of guerrilla warfare. That's why they would have adapted to um, um, uh, Barabbas because he yeah. was a rebel yeah. with a cause. So now Jesus says, "Well, what type of disciple? What type, what what do you think of the Messiah? Where? What would he look like? What are the kind of things he would say? Yeah. You know." So yeah. for me, he's putting them. On the spot, because your actual question is to say, "Are you the Messiah? Please tell us clearly, so that we know." They did ask him that once, but now mm. they keep asking mm. him as if they don't believe. And the Messiah is somebody's son, so if he is somebody's son, then whose son is he? So Jesus gives them a kind of an understanding about what he understood about the Messiah by saying, mm. "Whose son mm. is he?" The second part of that question. They could then 
Well, he's talking their language, so the son of David. So they were looking for somebody who was like David, the most famous king that Israel ever, ever had. Um, and, and he says, well, how is it that David, by the Spirit, calls him Lord? So now he's saying, hold it. You, the, the very king that you are saying um, was your favorite king, and you say that he's David's son, that's how you interpret the Messiah, yeah. then why did David, under the guidance of the Spirit, call him Lord? So in other words, I was already mentioned by your king, your mm. favorite king, who didn't say my son, but said, my Lord. Yeah. This is my Lord, sit at my... So how is it that you don't understand this? If David thus calls him Lord, how can he be his son? So your, your understanding of the Messiah is questionable, isn't it? You mm. think you mm. could ask me about what your intentions were? I'm asking you something that I thought you understood, and you don't. So how did they actually interpret what David was saying? And Jesus takes them back to the Old Testament. You can see this kind of story lends itself to the Hebrew-minded people, where yeah. the Messianic expectation was, where commandments mattered, where law and mm. prophets mattered, mm. and where um, the, the whole question of David mattered. So, so Jesus, I think, was understanding that the intention of the question as he got closer to Calvary, are you the Messiah? Is the intention of your question to ask me if I'm the Messiah? Would my response to you reveal that I'm the Messiah? If it does, let me check out what you think the Messiah is all about. And I think a curveball, whose son is he? Jesus knew the Hebrew mind. <coughs> Excuse me. And then it is the Spirit of God that mm. is empowering David to understand the Messiah as Lord. Mm. So this was way beyond just putting a thing on David. Did the Spirit inspire you? Does the Spirit inspire you as the Spirit inspires me and, I, and the Spirit is with me and in me? Um so that what we are speaking is that which is true. Mm. And of course, we see right at the end part, and I'd um, give that to you to answer. Nobody could give him a response. Yeah. 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 But yeah. I, I just want to do, I just want to <laughs> do a little bit of a detour here because you opened up it. this incredible link and like it was a bit of a throwaway comment from you when you were talking about the Maccabees. Um, yes. <laughs> so, um, like unwittingly, we've made this connection where, where I said it's important to ground in the first reading where Paul was and who he was speaking to at that. So he was going through Greece and the Maccabees, um, <laughs> they liberated Judea from, um, who was it? Yes, yes, the from the Macedonians yeah. and, and from the, yeah. the Greeks. Um, and Judea <sighs> is 
from the name of like Judas Maccabee and then like for Judas yes. to then betray Jesus, um, which was like the ultimate betrayal of the law, but also enforcing. It's just like this academic, like <laughs> smorgasbord of like connections and cross-cultural references. And wow, it just blew my mind now. Well, of for course, a second. I mean, Ju <laughs> Judas was, was not the true Messiah. Yes. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so this is like where, where I always say where um, it is it is highly improbable that all of this would like the Bible would exist as because obviously the Bible isn't in chronological order or at least the books of the Bible are not in chronological order so, like, the, the point that I always try to stress to people is, as, as a, a writer, as an editor, as, like, I understand how you piece together a compelling story over, like, all these volumes. And for me, the, the intertextuality of Bible stories is the evidence I need to say that this is not directly like the word like like you get the not the talk, uh, the quran which is kind of what the prophet wrote like that was his whole interpretation of what he understood this faith that he believed in to be and he wrote that story where the bible is something different the bible is a lot of people who came together and assembled a book that tells the story of these things and that kind of shatters my belief in the authenticity of it being the word of God said through people. Like if you, if you can understand that. Yeah, but remember, it's the inspired word of God. Yeah. And the inspired word of God was captured in stories. And so oral tradition was where all of these things were then eventually put down mm. and the authenticity of it was was checked in the editing editing process, which was more than just one person. Yeah. And so when it was put together, they wanted to see what was the authoritative text that would bring out the message of God's interaction with human beings. And what was what was he really wanting of us? What did he really want to do with his world through us? And so part of it is that, and like you and I, you and I were raised on stories mm. that there was no particular author or authors. It was folklore that was brought to our attention about, I mean, I've never seen on any piece of paper that my grandfather from my dad's side comes from the island of St. Helena. But my dad told yeah. me, yeah. and his sisters told me that. So I believed. Mm. I visited and worked in the place where my grandfather of our mother's side comes from in, in the Macquiland, Steinkoff. Mm. And where my grandmother comes from, uh, Okip, in the, the Macquiland area. And I met people that knew them. So even though I didn't see it written down in script form, I could believe the stories. I remembered 
doing um, going to a house uh, service that we were held in one of the little small places called Fontenki. And there was mm. about, what, 12 mm. families living there, uh, most of whom were uh, Anglicans. And I would do a service once a month on a weekday there. And the very first time I went there, I knocked on the door of the auntie whose, whose house was available for the service. And as she opened the door and smiled at me, her first words to me, Ek weet wie father is, my father Kenny Fermaini. And what she's, what she's actually saying is, I knew your grandparents, mm. but you know nothing about me. So I can believe those stories. Mm. We were shaped on stories like that. Yeah. We even yeah. are very critical of stories that are put down in writing. Mm. Because every newspaper blog or column or headline, we, we, we are, sh- do I really believe this? Yeah. Can I trust? Can I trust that there's a second wave and a third wave of COVID nineteen because the newspapers have said it, or because the minister of health said it? Mm. You know, do we trust these people? And so, whatever you read, you'll always have a measure of skepticism uh, yeah. about. You know, you you um, you you address it until you can verify the truth of that. So mm. I think these stories. When we see the, the textual interrelatedness, um, we know that this is far deeper than just right, putting pen to paper. These are stories that people lived, um, but now in their edited form, uh, we have to go and search for the original meaning and the original time when it was written and context in order to understand them more deeply. Mm, and they together. But it's, it's, it's interesting then, um, just, just from my own perspective, where, where I've said it's, it's that intertextuality that shatters <coughs> the illusion of unedited truth or unscripted truth um, for me. But again, like as a person who went into a career in the media and a believer that the media is where we get to interact with um, the facts of the world and relate them to the communities that are affected by it. The Bible was then the original gateway to that kind of democracy where the mass printing of the Bible took the power of the word away from those who would use it to shape the world in the way that would benefit them, which was the kings, the monarchs, the the and the the clergy who were in service to the crown. Um, and it brought the word to the masses where we could all interact with it and find meaning within that. So like it's a very conflicted relationship. I think it's the central conflict that I have with faith <laughs> with with the Christian faith. I, I, I actually think I've distilled it down to that now. Well I, I think I think the challenge therefore is, you know, once the it was printed in the language of the people, mm. and we do know, for example, the Bible Society plays a big role across the globe in printing uh, the Bible into language that people can understand. I, I met somebody who in from the Malawian 
context who translated um, the New Testament book, some of the New Testament books form allowing people to read in their own language. Mm. And, you know, somebody, for example, said he was ministering on his mission. He's a missionary, he's a monk, he's a missionary. And he said, when I went to this little island somewhere, um, I found it difficult to help them understand the, um, the, the title given to Jesus, the Lamb of God, that takes oh, away yes. the sins of the world, yeah. because on that island, nobody has sheep. <laughs> they, have, they only had pigs. Yeah. Now, yeah. could you then say, say this is the pig that, that, to make the connotation of the sacrifice? It wouldn't sound very nice to say this is the pig that takes away your sins because that's not the biblical connotation. That's not the understanding. Yeah. And, but in the, in the local language, what could they understand? How did they understand? I read something in Alan Busuk's book, book on hope, dare to hope. And he talks about the Khoisan people. Mm. And they can't they couldn't not imagine a God who had who is who is outside of a warrior God. Yeah. And they, yeah, they yeah. can't understand a God that because he fights against evil will not bear injuries or wounds on his body. So they understood God in this terminology. God is the warrior with the wounded knee. So in that, if you go further into, you can actually see there's both the God who created and the God who saves for fighting for us and he's the one who bears and shares our wounds. So in that one concept, the whole idea of who God is in terms of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is, is portrayed to us in that one culture. Mm. So I mm. would say that um, very difficult to when you have to translate ancient stories into modern concepts because they don't always fit. But you cannot translate something you haven't understood in its context. Mm. And this is where the problem comes. One hopes that when people translate the Bible, that the words that they are using properly captures what the text itself says. Mm. Like a word for love. The English only has one word, love. Now, you shall love the Lord your God. In Greek, would that be one of four words that are used for love? Yeah. Would we read yeah. here agape? Yeah. That's the kind yeah. of love you would be reading about, not the other. You can't put eros there. Yeah. You can't put yeah. filio there. So, so that's where it goes. It goes. Is it? It, it goes awry. So, in other words, it's be it's be a good thing if we could have learned the original languages that these things were written in. Uh, but um, there are translations that have tried their level best to ensure, like the Good News Bible is a, a Bible that has really produced good results because it helps people with second language mm. uh, 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 development to understand the scriptures. We, we often fight about the, the translations, you know, because look, mm. Every every translation is an interpretation. Yes. Yes. So so when we were studying the Bible that was chosen for us to be as close to the Greek and the Hebrew as possible was the Revised Standard Version of the Bible. Mm. 
Um, and so you have a bias towards a particular um, uh, translation because you've understood as a, as a student where the connection is with the original language. Mm. So it's difficult for us, for me to sort of readily embrace the new international version because that, that what's the name is, has got sort of so-called close con connections with evangelism. Sorry, even yeah. evangelicalism. Yeah, evangelical, yeah. Yeah. The King James version is it's also very interesting, you see, because sometimes when an example is made um, that the translation itself favored King James. Mm. So the way that it was translated gave him a sense of 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 favoritism in the scriptures. So you know, so yeah, translations can be very damaging if you not if you're not clear about the the, the original language itself. Mm. So those of us are they gone? It's something that came up actually this week um with my daughter. So it's it's been a very interesting idea to have such a long like concentrated period with a child um like through lockdown like so much has happened and continues to happen in 2020 <laughs> and to relay that to my daughter while being on this journey with you um on a weekly basis like interpreting what's happening like in the bible where the thing i always try and make sure that she understands is that i am personally against using a a manuscript that is open to interpretation that is is restricted to a certain belief system um to then base laws of a country that must cater to people who do not believe that as well so i'm fully in in favor of like the separation of like church and state so when the act was signed this week to basically make it illegal for marriage officers to refuse to marry um, same-sex um, couples, which is an incredible step forward for humanity. And I am so happy that, again, South Africa has proven beyond all of our flaws that we still have the most progressive constitution in the world, um, mainly because we have the youngest... <laughs> constitution in the world, in the world to yeah. be completely fair and then to like relate um there was uh chris pratt one of uh he acts he's star lord in guardians of the galaxy so he's in the marvel um cinematic universe so my daughter knows of him and in the story bro he's been getting a lot of backlash um this week as well and then trying to explain to her that he's a, a devout christian and he's a republican um known republican and why there's this idea that Republicans or at least conservative politics in the U.S., which is very much moving towards Bible based, especially the way they're trying to fill the Supreme Court justice um, thing now um, where it's a pro-lifer and like all of these things, like trying to relate that idea to her that you can believe one thing, but another person is also free to believe another thing and somewhere you have to meet in the middle 
And that is what we are trying, we, we're always trying to balance those two ideas. But who in that has power? <laughs> That's where the problem comes. The, the person in the, in the street may understand it by a common sense, mm. with the sense that if you do it that way, then justice and peace will be maintained. A person in, 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 in terms of law has to interpret what has been written down mm. and then whose, whose point of view is the swaying point of view, the one who comes with common sense that may have better meaning than the one who interprets a law um, and gives a meaning into whatever is being asked for. I mean, we as South Africans have struggled not with just an issue such as same-sex couples. We have struggled with all forms of discrimination and enslavement. Uh, so we are, we have, our constitution is to say, let's look across the board. Yeah. And, and perhaps maybe that is probably a, the way we understand Jesus looked at circumstances that he was challenged by. How did he see the justice of God being worked out in, uh, in in the context where he was was doing where he was present, and well, of course, at the same time that South Africa is making this legislation, the Pope is talking, yeah, uh, <laughs> in favor of this kind of things as well, and so it's quite interesting that that happens. Now, those who are conservative get their views from where. I, I certainly, in my interpretation of Jesus would say that he was one for everybody. Mm. Um, I don't see him readily just judging people at random, but trying mm. to understand where they're coming from, then helping them to correct themselves and find the way that they should be going. Now, certainly, I don't find Jesus to be conservative. I, I think Jesus listens to the whole thing before he does whatever he does. Mm. But where do conservatives get their, their mindset from? Because conservatism is very much related to the Pharisees' way of thinking yeah. and the Sadducees' way of thinking. Conservative mind says we have got the answer. We know and we therefore can interpret it because we've written a law that can tell you what to do in a situation such as that. But based on what is it? They will argue it goes back to the Ten Commandments. Yeah. Which is the, the basis of any law across the nations. Mm. In the Western world, if I could put it like that. So, so yeah. So, so um, it is, isn't it, isn't it, the, isn't the, isn't the main, main important word here? For us to develop a true sense of discernment, to understand what is it that God would be saying into this context and what are people saying? Therefore, what am I saying? Not just saying because I'm a conservative, therefore I'm choosing, but say, have I really given myself a chance to work through every aspect as possible? Have I listened to God, to history, to people, um, to different people in different cultures enough to be able to say, 
Well, given that variety, this is where I, I, I come. You know, Martin, Martin Luther wrote the, the 95 Theses mm. and put it mm. on the, 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 the cathedral's door and said, here I stand, I can do no other. But 95 theses before he actually utters those words, the amount of research and prayer that went into those 95 theses. He wasn't saying I'm correct. All he was saying is that in the journey that I felt I needed to take, here I stand, I can do no other. So one has to appreciate that. I think um, we have been uh, schooled in so much biases they are there just ready to pick out when we need them to yeah. argue our yeah. point. How much of those biases have we really thought through as, you know, your favorite word evolved in our thinking mm. about mm. these things? That's a, a good a good point to leave that on. I, I just want to add one little thing where it's like, um, as I always say, I have no problem with the idea of Jesus as the idea of universal love um, for each other. And I think it's encapsulated like that. That that was why he evolved the thinking from the Ten Commandments into years just one. Like, I've set you this example. Please follow it. <laughs> love one another as I have loved you. Um, so, Father, would you like to please take us through briefly <laughs> through other points of reflection for, for the rest of the week in the prayers of the church? Again, the anthem of the prayers are praise the Lord for he is good and the response is sing to God with thanksgiving. Throughout of the five prayers, Jesus is celebrated as Messiah and the first prayer deals with the church and as we celebrate his love, we're asking him to drive from the church any vestige of hatred. The next prayer deals with rulers and governments. And it says here that God, the Jesus who is the Messiah, must help us maintain the equity of all people. And that in the third um, focus where we sort of embrace ourselves and others. Um, the focus is on children. And our prayer to the Jesus, the Messiah, is to help us cherish the children for whom you gave so much in restoring your image in us. The fourth one deals with challenges of ill health, and other challenges that gets our spirits and minds down. Uh, we see the Messiah as the, uh, the one from whom compassion flows out. And so we ask you, Lord, to anoint with your healing grace any people in distress, giving them the comfort of your Holy Spirit. In the last prayer we pray is that the love which Jesus has as the Messiah on the cross and in the resurrection is to bring hope to all who have died and to fulfill the promise of his kingdom. 
in our prayers, we are celebrating a spiritual song sung by Michael Jonkus on Eagle's Wings. As Lindsay previously spoke about the surge of COVID-19, we know of the 42% increase in infections in the Western Cape. We continue to pray, author of life, healer of the nations, grant us courage to face our trial, give us wisdom to find relief, give us faith to be responsible and grant us your salvation for Jesus Christ's sake. Amen. Then as we come to the concluding parts of the service, we give thanks to the Lord who is gracious for God's mercies endures forever. And we now send you into this week with these words of benediction and commission. Go now with courage in our God. Declare the message of the gospel which God has entrusted to us. And in wholehearted love for God and for others, share not only the message, but your very selves. And may God be your haven. May Christ Jesus lead you into love, art, minds, and soul. May the Holy Spirit bless the work of your hands and gladden all your days. Let us always go in peace to love and serve the Lord. We go in the name of Christ. Amen. God bless your week and your day. Love from the rectory.